No, I mean, I was literally just running to get in here. I wasn't. Oh, you ran here. You know, the normal everyday workout kind of stuff. (laughs) I I thought you were actually working out running. Yeah, no. No, just running here to get here on time. Just running with my pants on fire. You know, here we go. Right. Is this a part of the reason for that, that you're running? (laughs) Yes, you are the reason. Exclusively. Yeah, running to you. That's Well, I was asking more about this entire video that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for me because I feel like we've really like there's absolutely no new content in here. Right. So it's a little frustrating because it's I mean, which I think we should talk about. Like, why is this coming out now? Why is this relevant? Why is there nothing in here about the NSCA settlement or how CrossFit's going or the DEI council going away? Right. I mean, like there's a lot of stuff that's interesting, I would think, to people that would be timely to drop a documentary now and to not cover that. I mean, part of the reason I won't finish the book is because I feel like there's so many things that are developing that I can't quite tell the story until I have some answers for that kind of stuff too. Well, I guess that's kind of something we're talking about the book. Mm. Uh, Is that something that you've talked about out in the open before? Like how far along you are in there, what you'll be discussing in the book. And by the way, guys, this is Emily. She's the owner of the CrossFit Instagram account, the CrossFit book, right? I didn't mess that up. That's you. Okay. So how is that coming? So, I mean, it's really Greg's story, right? So it's like his biography and um, that will be the history of CrossFit as well. My intent was to really be able to end originally. It was to tell it focusing a lot on the NSCA case, which as a journalist I was working on when he got canceled um, and then sort of jumped in to help him with that crisis management situation Um, And so since then, you know, he and I have now developed this new business, the Broken Science Initiative together. And that's a huge part of his story and his legacy. And it's so directly connected to CrossFit and CrossFit Health that that has to sort of come to a maturation point where we can tell that story. But I think the other part of this is also, you know, we still don't know who bought CrossFit. We don't know why they settled the NSACA case under terms of strict confidentiality. Um, And I'm getting, I'm making progress on those things from the reporting side. Um, But I mean, I've interviewed hundreds of people. I have hundreds of hours of audio of Greg and I talking. Um, And so, you know, and I've written 60 pages, probably more than that. Huh? What's What's the the goal? Yeah. I don't want it to be so long that no one reads it, but it's really hard to figure out what to cut. And even in all the interviews that I've done with other people, there's so many people that have profound stories about how Greg impacted their lives, right? And all the businesses that were started because he didn't want to be, you know, distracted by the bright and shiny objects, as he would say. Um, and he really wanted to focus exclusively on the things that he could provide affiliates that affiliates couldn't provide for themselves, right? So he had that whole litigate, legislate, educate, which was HQ's role. And I think it's interesting because I don't see much of that happening with the current HQ, whatever home base, whatever we're calling that office. I think think they went back to HQ. It it was home base for a while and then they seemingly brought it back. Okay. Thank you. You're cool with me bringing up comments like this, right? Just kind of throwing stuff out in the open. Yeah, do it. Cool. Well, you brought up the fact that it's going to be upon Greg and where he came from and how it all came to be, right? So right. I just saw this comment from Jeffrey Birchfield, which is, is it necessary to dredge up ancient history? And I think that he's probably talking more about 
the Floyd 19 situation and probably directly pointing at the Zach video because you said there's nothing new there. Yeah. But when you're talking about Greg in general, it's always cool to hear about where he came from. And when you're talking about the tweet, the downfall, and it's, there was nothing new. And yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff about Greg that people don't know. Um, you know, I, I think about like a lot of stuff about how he was brought up and his childhood and sort of formative experiences for him, um, which as a storyteller feels really important to me to sort of explain the basis for how he, you know, became who he is as somebody who really hates bullying, who's not scared to stand up to really powerful forces and be a contrarian the way that he is, you know, sort of brave in what he does. And he would never have been able to do what he did with CrossFit without some of those formative experiences. I mean, I feel that way even in terms of like people saying like, oh, he should have had a board of directors or he should have had that. He wouldn't have been able to take on soda or made any of these big decisions had he had a lot of other interests involved. I think, you know, some of the things that we hear about him that are negative are people didn't like decisions that he made, but he got to make the decisions because he owned 100% of the company. And so you kind of, it's hard to cherry pick those things um, and go back and say that it would have developed into what it is today had it not been really all about him. Uh, I'm not so sure. I don't know if that comment was directed at the, the document. I, th I think he was probably commenting on Zach's video. Okay. The I mean, I'm happy to talk about me Is you brought up the fact that there's no board of directors. You brought up the fact that he was the sole owner. He's a contrarian. And I remember when I was at the affiliate, affiliate owner, and everything was going down. And all I could think is, it's like, why are you guys so mad at this guy? It's always ever done. It's always ever been. And you, you're currently angry at him for doing the exact same thing that he's ever done, which is why we're all here in the first place, which he's kind of stating his mind. He's kind of, in a way, pointing out the obvious and – I think that this is probably more pointed directly at that tweet, the Floyd 19 tweet in the Zach video. And I have timestamps on all of this and I was kind of planning on going on this linearly, but I remember there's a call with the Italians. Do you remember that part in the video? Yeah, I love that. Cause it's so funny. And it, you know, he was doing affiliate calls all day. I think it was eight hours a day with, you know, groups of 20 affiliates um, I have a great picture, which I can send you if you end up editing this or doing something else okay. of his floor. And it's just like papers everywhere of, that were sort of like prep notes on who was going to be on each call, what was important to them, what was happening in their country. Um, so that and he this could all in relation to the pandemic, right? Right, right. And so okay. this was before the tweet. Um, this was basically talking to affiliates about what was going on in their country, in their community and how they were handling all of this. And he wanted to directly, I mean, I think, you know, this is a lot of background, but I think it's relevant and it's interesting. I think he, I think the company had gotten too big for him. And I think he felt really strongly before the pandemic, that it was like a runaway train. And, it, you know, I mean, I think people have misinterpreted um, this as like he wanted control and, you know, he had a, like ego issues, like he was jealous of Savan or he was jealous of Dave. I don't actually think that's the case. Can you talk more on that? The, the company had gotten too big for him. Uh, is that something that he thought? Is that something that maybe he had plans for? He, I mean, I think he has said very clearly, I mean, he had said to me when his, he had a daughter who was born in, I think, December, or January. So before the pandemic, right? So 1920. Um, and she was in the NICU when she was born and 
there was this incredible conversation that he and I had where he was talking about how complicated everything was and how they were treating her with all of these things. And she was in like a little incubator kind of, you know, scary situation to have just had a newborn baby and have them be in this situation. But one of the things that he was talking, you know, about was how there were all these tubes hooked up to her and there were all these amazing sort of like medical things happening. But then he looked up and there were dust bunnies and they were falling down huh. and there was like dust on the floor and it was this non-sterile environment. And I said to him, I wonder if you're talking about Reason, the baby, or are you talking about CrossFit? Because CrossFit had become so big, right? And there were all of these sort of competing interests and things. And he had really wanted to do CrossFit Health as a return to what he had started, which was, you know, I mean, and again, this is in that video, but the, you know, putting the old fat people on .com was really about, wait a minute, this is methodology saves lives, you know? And I think, you know, when I started doing CrossFit, the, the big tagline for me was I want to stay out of the nursing home for as long as I can. Right. It, it was about longevity in a way and being able to keep your, you know, um, sort of health span as long as you could. And I think he had traveled around and I had gone around with him, you know, 2018, 2019 to a bunch of affiliates. And every time he walked in, people would say, I'm so sorry, we don't have anybody going to the games. And it became this sort of mantra for him where he was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care that you're not sending anybody to the games. That's not why I did this. Almost game- like a slap in the face every time you heard it. Yeah, because he realized <laughs> this was the message that was being perpetuated yeah. and that people would see the games athletes and they'd think it was amazing. But they'd also think like, I can't, you know, I'm 400 pounds. I can't ever imagine being that. And he wanted to go back to what he had done as a trainer. I mean, he said to me, I really loved the, the person who had never done a pull up who couldn't climb a, climb a rope, right? And they do it for the first time and they cry and their life has changed. That he, cause he talks, he has this amazing way of explaining that sort of like being a sculptor and that like you're working on, you think you're working on the outside but it's actually the experience that you're bringing to people when they see the art that is so transcendent and how, you know, when you really help somebody regain their health and their fitness, they become a whole new person who's, who, you know, the person they kind of always wanted to be, but they didn't know. And it has really very little to do with the exterior, it's much more about empowering them as an individual. Um, and so I think the, you know, the animosity that people put out there about him hating the games or whatever, like, I don't see any of that. I think he thought like, this is just, it's not directing the message where we want it to be. And the obesity epidemic is increasing, chronic disease is getting worse. We have this solution to that problem and we're not getting that message out because the games have become this big thing that everybody knows us for. And they think you have to be super fit to get into an affiliate. And so when affiliates were saying to him, you know, I'm so sorry, I don't have anybody going to the games, you know, before, <laughs> but he would always say like, well, have you ever got, have you ever had a member who's lost hundred pounds? And they would be like, yeah, Sally over there. Right. And Jim. And he'd be like, that's what it's about. That's what this is about. And I mean, I think it's important to remember he didn't want affiliates, right? When this all started, he He didn't didn't, want affiliates. He had no intention of having this huge company that was this international brand. He was really focused on being a trainer. I mean, the other thing that he said is that the games were really about, for him, finding, realizing that this methodology was so powerful that it could create the fittest person on earth. And so they would invite professional athletes to come and try to compete with games athletes and they would lose. And that was really fun because it was that a happened in 2019. 
And so I think for him, it's like, you know, everything is about like what we're doing in Broken Science. It's all about predictive value and actually being able to validate results. The games were a tool of validation. They validated that the methodology of CrossFit was far superior to any other training modality. And when people lost sight of that because it became its own thing, I think he got really upset and felt like this has gone off the rails not you know not because the games were bad but because this is this was a marketing thing i mean people there's a lot of um differing opinions on whether the games made money or not this is a point of as a reporter that's really hard for me to nail down in some ways and what as in you can't speak on it or you don't know i don't feel i mean i i can speak on it and it's definitely going to be in the book but i think there what what I've ultimately come to the conclusion about having talked to Matt Holdsworth, who was the CFO at CrossFit, is that it's not really fair to evaluate the games in that way because there was never a budget given. So it wasn't like, hey, you've got $10 million to spend. If so you go you over that, right? <laughs> it was more of like, hey, let's do this. What is it going to yeah. take, right? And I think part of you know what Greg was realizing as it was getting bigger and you know things like the deal with ESPN was why can't we get outside media to come and cover this for free? Why are we doing all this media on our own and spending an astronomical amount of money on it when there's a lot of outside interest now and outside media companies that have all of this overhead anyway can be covering it on their own and it doesn't need to be our expense. Can I ask you how Greg viewed the company? Because I've heard it thrown around that CrossFit has been and possibly is a media company. And clearly with that statement right there, that's not the case. Well, I think it is. I mean, it's certainly it's registered as a publishing company. Okay. Um, and Greg started it by writing the, you know, the foundational articles, which really make up the L1, you know, manual. I think that that certainly was publishing. Um, and I think it, so yes, to call it a media company is entirely accurate. I mean, both in terms of the IRS code and how it's registered, but also in terms of how it was run. And, you know, it's really an intellectual property company. So when people become or when affiliates become affiliates, they're really just getting the right to use the name. And so the IP is also goes to that idea of it's a media company, it's a brand. And what are they providing? Well, they're providing education. And that education is coming through these various medium, right? Video, you know, social media, which we can talk about. That was absolutely inaccurate in this. What was inaccurate? Um. I should find the quote, but he says something about how you to pull that thing up that you sent me the the manuscript. Um, you can. I have the old. Yeah. I have the like not great one, the transcript. Um, but he I says in there something about how he pulled down all the social media because he was like mad about the games. Right? Is that oh, inaccurate? Nothing to do with the games at all. I actually printed out here, and I can email this to you too. Um. It was the title of the article is CrossFit Inc. Suspends Use of Facebook and Associated Properties. And I mean, it's a very well-written, I bet Greg wrote it. Where is that posted? It was on .com. I have it from the Wayback Machine. I don't know Got if it's it. still up there. But well, if you have the, the means to email that me really quick, I could throw it on the screen. Okay, let me see. Hold on. I, uh, I'm sure you've watched a bunch of Sevon stuff, and I know you've even been on his show, but he's got the people on the back end who operate it. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm keeping attentive while also trying to pull up things that are 
Interesting. Okay, hold on one second. I'm going to add you to this whole doc, so you're going to have to scroll through, but you'll, it has that. all the notes of anything that I wanted to bring up here. Hold on. Roger, Roger. Okay, it just it's a Google Doc. And cool. All right, what portion of it? It's the first um, number one. Okay. Is page two. Page two. Okay, it's coming. You see it? It's coming. I see it. It's just going to take me two seconds. Boom. This guy, yeah. Yes. Okay. Which portion of it did you want to look at? Scroll down. Here? Yeah. Yep. Roger. Okay. So that's a copy from, that's the text of what they posted about the reasons for why they were um, pulling down all their social media. And the reason for it, I mean, the first paragraph is really talking about how they're a contrarian organization. And then they go into the reason specifically why was because the Banting seven-day meal plan user group was deleted without warning or explanation. The group had 1.65 million users who post testimonials and other information regarding the efficacy of low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. Well, the site has subsequently been, been reinstated also without warning or explanation. Now, keep in mind, this is 2019, right? So we've seen this happen with COVID a lot, but this was... Greg basically saw this and realized how much power these social media companies were having over content that people were sharing. So essentially in protest of them taking down this Banting diet group, Greg decided to pull down CrossFit's massive accounts, hoping that it would hurt Facebook and Instagram and that they would realize that they are the public square. So he has this thing about how- Did that have any success? I don't think so. I think that people from those companies reached out to them and tried to like reassure them, but he was, he saw the writing on the wall and said, you know, we can't be part of these things. So he writes, um, Facebook and its properties host and oversee a significant share of the marketplace of public thought to millions of individuals and communities across the world. Facebook and its properties remain the platforms where ideas and information are exchanged. Facebook thus serves as a de facto authority over the public square, arbitrating a worldwide exchange of information, as well as overseeing the security of individuals and communities who entrust their ideas, work, and private data to this platform. This mandates a certain responsibility and assurance of good faith, transparency, and due process. CrossFit Inc., as a voluntary user of and contributor to this marketplace, can and must remove itself from this particular manifestation of the public square when it becomes clear that such responsibilities are betrayed and reneged upon to the detriment of our community. Common decency demands that we do so, as do our convictions regarding fitness, health, and nutrition, which sits at the heart of CrossFit's identity and prescription. To this end, all activity on CrossFit, Inc.'s Facebook and Instagram Accounts was suspended as of May 22, 2019, as CrossFit investigates the circumstances pertaining to Facebook's deletion of Banting's seven-day meal plan and other well-known public 
compliments about the social media company that may adversely impact the security and privacy of our global CrossFit community. So he did this to like to stand with the censoring of another group. It had nothing to do with the games. Zero. Where was this how acknowledged was this at this point in time? Well, this was on the journal, right? Yeah, I think it was on like on the homepage, prominently displayed for everybody to understand why they had. You had to grab it from the Wayback Machine. Um, I don't know if maybe we couldn't find it. I can't remember. I think I have the original as a PDF somewhere. Got it. Okay. Well, that's that's incredible. So you're saying that the portion in the Telender video was misguided at least. I mean, like. To the point where you could, if, if you're writing or reporting on CrossFit deleting its social media channels, it behooves you to figure out why. And if you don't know why, maybe you got, could ask. I, I think, think anybody in the media team was very well aware of why this was done. This was not a secret. I mean, they it was a public stance against this kind of censorship. And it, they were loud and vocal about it. Should so, we give the people what we're talking about here? I think I have it pinpointed right here. Can you hear this? The CrossFit brand. With the pinnacle of this being the CrossFit Games, the test to determine who is the fittest in the world. Much to Glassman's chagrin, the CrossFit Games and its competitors were the leading force of CrossFit's marketing. Glassman saw his bigger picture of a global fight against chronic disease as the driver to his brand's success, losing to the much more sexy CrossFit Games. This is the beginning of a long series of pretty big business mistakes on Glassman's part. This is just my opinion. This is not something I'm alleging. These are the moves he made that I disagree with. The first thing he did was reshape the CrossFit games. In- so that is what you're talking about, right? And I think somewhere along the lines right here is where they start talking about the media being turned down and it's and being shut off. And you said it's got nothing to do with the CrossFit games. <laughs> Well, so two things. The me- I think we don't want to conflate these two items. One is the layoffs that happened in 2018. Correct. Yeah, sorry. What he's doing is he's, he's put those together and he's saying he laid off the media team and he canceled all social media. And those are completely unrelated. Okay, so right now we're exclusively talking about the distinction between why he was removing themselves from social media and it had to do with that group which he was standing for versus the reason he was laying off the media team. Correct. Okay. Yep. Can we talk about that? The laying off of the media? Yeah, what's up with that? What was the idea behind that? I think the media team had gotten huge and it was a, it was the largest expenditure in, of the company. What's huge yeah. look like? I'm I'm always curious. Like I, for Yeah, I feel like I have, <laughs> I mean, I think it was, you know, by far the largest expense in terms of employees and in terms of i mean the the equipment and the servers i mean they had they had the best i think it was like the largest um like i can't remember what the figure was but it sevi would know this i mean it's like they were the biggest below la or above la or you know like some area of california they were the largest media company in terms of expense okay and you know i think as an outsider it was always hard to understand that they thought they were media like news, but they were marketing. I mean, nobody wanted to use any of those corporate terms, but that's what it was. It was the marketing department and they were creating content. 
And I think there was there, I know that there was like a very um, hot meeting that happened where Greg sort of demanded that they start putting fat people on the homepage. And that caused uh, people got really mad. They were like, we're forging elite fitness. We're not about fat people. And he was like, yes, we are. This is actually what we do that we're helping people regain their health through fitness and nutrition. And we've lost our way and the, and people need to know that. And so that's when, you know, we started seeing the old people with the water jugs and that sort of came back. And I think people did come around to that, but I think again, I mean, from my stance, which is mostly coming from Greg, there was certainly um, a ton of money going to doing games-related content, right? Whether it was following athletes, whether it was actual coverage of the games. And I think there was also, you know, it was a company that was, you know, there weren't hundreds and hundreds of employees. And so it's also hard for me to sess up and Greg and Savan and I have all been on a thread trying to hash some of this stuff out, but the budget, you know, a lot of people who worked for the media department would go and cover the games. So it's kind of hard to say the media associated with the games cost X versus the media that was for, you know, training, education, seminar, you know, the how-to stuff. They started doing those cooking videos. What was that? They were all commingled. Everybody was sort of working on different things. It wasn't so clearly delineated as you would in a sort of other, you know, a more like sort of corporate environment where, oh, I work on this and this is all I do. It was sort of like all hands on deck or people would be interested in different things and they'd pitch a project and it would get approved. Um, you know, they did all those documentaries. All of that kind of stuff was with, a, a you know, a lot of the same people. And so um, I think when it came down to it, that was a lot of, what Greg would think was bloat. I mean, the other thing that's interesting is Jeff Kane is really the one that was responsible for a lot of that. He's not mentioned in this documentary at all. Responsible for what? Um, the sort of restructuring. Got it. And that was, okay, okay. And I think, you know, I, I don't think Greg disagreed with that decision. He certainly okayed all of it. But I think when Jeff came in and he was going through the books and he was trying to figure out what the expenses were and the company wasn't in financial trouble, it was doing very well. But I think that there was this notion of, why are we spending all this money on marketing for something that is not driving people into affiliates? Well, wasn't it though? Or was it not? It was not. So, so that's another thing that was brought up in the Talander video was there was a graph there and it was trying to tie together the mm-hmm. growth of the CrossFit open to potential affiliate openings. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of slimy, to be honest with you. Just Tell me a, why. It, it's confusing. You're basically, you're creating a what you'd call a correlation between mm-hmm. two data points, one being open registration and the other being success of the business. And he's saying, oh, look, open registration is down and therefore the business isn't doing well. What? No, the affiliates weren't down. The affiliates were at 15,000 and they stayed there after the media was cut. So open registration went down. Yeah, because the games weren't being pushed as hard, but that didn't hurt the affiliates. And there wasn't, he uh, did, okay. He did, you know, so he's he's taking two numbers that he has access to, number of affiliates, number of open registration participants, and he's trying to say, oh, look, these numbers are down. This was a failure. Well, it was a failure if your only barometer is looking at how many people signed up for the open, but not if you're looking at how many people opened an affiliate or how many L1s were done that year. Well, tell me, if you're Zach, is there a method in which he could have 
done a better means to gather this information. Because from what I understand, it's like incredibly accessible. And perhaps this is to his own demise that he pulled these numbers and tried to correlate them, as you said. And you said it's kind of slimy. But in a way, you understand why he did it. And there was maybe it's the drop off being the pandemic and what had ensued next, which I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. But you're right. I mean, 15,000 is a huge number. And I, I, I don't think that the game's media team it was the media team that had gotten cut at that point that he was trying to draw the point to right they cut the media team and then it exploded page six of that document that i gave you okay that has the um this is according to morning number six uh number three page six number three page six coming up coming up cool this guy right uh, no, like, let's go up. Maybe this is page five. This is page yeah. six. All right. I'll go up a little bit. Going up. This guy. No, that's the diversity stuff. So it's down. Oh, yeah. You, okay. yeah, maybe it's down. I know what you're looking for. It's yeah. Numbers. Yeah. You just went. Back. Oh, look at this. This is what so you're looking there. For. You can see this is like all of the open registrations yep. and you can see the percent change. And so what's interesting is that there is, you know, there's a 14.818% drop from 18 to 19. So you can attribute that to a drop in, you know, media coverage, the media team's cut. I don't think that's inaccurate. But to then make some statement about how this is linked to the failure of the business is a gigantic leap that's totally inaccurate. Okay. I saw something on here mentioning his name. You tell Andrew showed the seven year trends for the open. Okay. Did uh, you put it together exclusively for this case? Yes. Okay. And so, cool. I mean, I think what's interesting, and we shouldn't go through all of this just because I was the world. What does this look like present day? Is there any way to just drag this over? I want, I want to see the continued. Well, so, no, this is what's interesting <laughs> is that the way that CrossFit now talks about stuff is that they'll say things like, oh, we didn't meet our goal. Or we added 300 affiliates, you know, here, but they don't tell you from what. There's no baseline, right? And so where we know that when he sold the business, there were 15,000 affiliates. Okay. Um, so you don't know present day how many there are. No, they won't say. Are they scared? I would imagine it's not good. I mean, this, I would. This question know. keeps popping into my head. Let's just say none of this had happened. You, and Greg clearly had a vision. And there was a way that everyone remembers everything having had gone. But let's just say he was still there. Is there any way that you could paint a picture for what it would look like right now? What what would the entire world of CrossFit exist as? I think he would have, I think he had a plan with the pandemic to scale back so that it would look a lot more like what it did in the early days where everybody was working, everybody was doing seminars on weekends, and it was sort of the way that the old school original crew had done things. Um, And I don't think he, I mean, again, for him, this wasn't about growth. When Harvard Business School told him that they had recognized that he's the CrossFit was the fastest growing company in world history, it kind of blew his mind because he's not, he wasn't interested in growth, right? That wasn't what he set out to do. Question. Mm-hmm. Zach said a couple of times the 150,000 affiliates. Wouldn't that be something in which he was 
worried about growth about affiliates? He, he had quoted, and there's a couple of times in there he puts up this little tag and it's just, we want 150,000 affiliates. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that would be something where he'd be can, looking towards growth. No, I can imagine that Greg would say something like that in terms of wanting to expose the methodology to more people, but he wasn't thinking about it in terms of like the way they talk now. I'm going to 10x this and like this is a growth opportunity. Like that's not Greg's that he that was not what he was interested. Got I it. mean, it, um, it, that's just it's not how his brain works, really. He, I think. Even what we're doing with Broken Science, it's all about, I want to get this to individuals who want this information. And then, sure, they'll probably tell their friends and it'll probably grow organically in a grassroots fashion. But it's not, the plan isn't like, oh, we're going to infiltrate this group and then we're going to convert this group. And then, and, you know, I heard him speak at Harvard Business School for two years. Greg. Yeah. And um, there would always be some jackass in the back row who would stand up and say, you know, Mr. Glassman, I just want to tell you, I'm going to be a venture capitalist someday or private equity. And I'm, I just have to tell you, I think it's fascinating that you've done everything wrong and you're still successful. When Greg and I would joke about how like he clearly didn't listen to anything that Greg had explained. Right? Well, what is it that he missed, this venture capitalist? What, what is it that he missed? Well, what he was saying that Greg had done wrong was things like the bright and shiny objects, which I'm sure the new owners saw and thought you're leaving all this money on the table, right? So Greg was offered, I can't remember, $15 million to do CrossFit fish oil. He turned it down. Jump ropes, turned it down. I mean, Rogue started, RX bars, all of these, Kill Cliff, all of these things were started because CrossFit had an ecosystem where people knew that there was a supply and demand for other products and Greg didn't want anything to do with them. But as an outsider and somebody who's like an MBA type business person, they come in and they say, oh my God, like you turned down $50 million for some deal. You could have been rogue and you gave that away. Why would you make sense to people? Okay. I get it. it. Whereas Greg's like, I didn't, I don't know about that business. That's not my business. I wanted to professionalize the trainer space. That's what I wanted to do. And when he realized that this was growing, he his whole thing was, I want to create a business that I would have been affiliated with when I was a trainer. And anything that didn't meet that test, he said no to. And I think that's 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 remarkable because most people see that money and they think, oh, great, I'll take it. And he was wise enough to say, no, we're going to focus exclusively on what we know how to do and what we do really well. And anything that comes my way that's deviating from that very exclusive path, I'm going to say no to. And I think that also caused unrest, you know, because I think people on staff would say, like, why are we turning down all this money? And he would just be hell bent on like, that's not what I do. Which is kind of why it's a good thing there wasn't a board of directors, right? Because that could have swayed the boat. For sure. Yes. It's very hard to say no to that kind of money. Uh, And... Probably one of the biggest things that people like myself are vocal about is the fact that they clearly don't turn it down anymore. No, and, and they're looking for all that. kinds of ways, right, to, you know, charge affiliates for things that was free. That What's was free. the biggest thing that was turned down? You know, I mean, you mentioned fish oil. Is that kind of up there, $15 million fish oil? It might have been more than that. It might have been $50 million. Um, there, I mean, there were a lot. I think it was like a regular occurrence that people would come and pitch. And he has that great video that we posted on the um, CrossFit book page, you know, talking about how when I, if I'm a trainer and I'm telling you, you should buy the sneakers that I'm selling, 
I'm no longer a trainer. I now work at Foot Locker. And that's not what we do. And the same thing where he thought, you know, you shouldn't, you should have like good, clean, filtered water. When I go to my lawyer's office, my lawyer doesn't say, oh yeah, there's a vending machine around the corner. It's $3 for a bottle of water. How do you feel about this one? He charged 45 million in affiliate fees and he's going to say it wasn't about the money. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's important is that I don't think that Greg would say he didn't want to make money. But I think he was very focused on what he wanted to make money on. And one of the things that, you know, the business school people would were really interested in was that his business model was basically like, we have a pie and there's this much money in the pie. And my sliver is pretty small, right? $3,000. And I mean, the early affiliates were grandfathered in at 500, 500. Bucks, right? So this is, I'm going to take this. And as this pie grows bigger, and we get more affiliates, sure, I will maintain this small slice, but I will get more money. And with that money, what was done? What was done with what? Versus what What was done with that money? I mean, $45 million. This is, this is kind of the big thing that I always point at, which is affiliates at that point were paid for the protection of the trainers. We bring up stuff like the NSCA case. Mm-hmm. You pay a team of lawyers that you can shut down companies that might be trying to put some sort of shackles on it, what it takes to be a trainer. Mm-hmm. And when you pay that sort of money and it's just sitting there, that's the, that's where it was going. And that's another thing we talk about today. People pay $3,000, but what for? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I think that's the, <laughs> right. So his thing was the three, the legislate. So paying lobbyists in DC to protect the interests of CrossFit trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, litigate when people were trying to come after CrossFit trainers like the ACSM and the NSCA and make it illegal to be a CrossFit trainer, penalty of one year in prison or thousands of dollars in a fine. He shut that down. And that cost million, I mean, more than $40 million in legal fees easily um, in just the last couple of years. So that was a, a huge protection. And again, I think, you know, in retrospect, the media team didn't cover that. They didn't, they did not educate the average affiliate on how extensive and important, essential perhaps those efforts were, that they kept the CrossFit trainer in the local box protected in ways that like the local CrossFit box could never have afforded to have the very best lawyers in New York fighting That's this fight thing, right? <laughs> that's what it's all about. If, it, if that's the only thing that your money was going towards, it should be enough. And so I think another thing that people really don't understand that's interesting and that I wish people knew more about at the time, because I think it really would have made them more appreciative of that low affiliate fee cost. I mean, there are two things. One is a lot of people get confused about a franchise model and a franchise model. Like if you go and you open a Planet Fitness, first of all, it's like it's 150 grand out the gate that you have to spend on opening marketing that they dictate that you have to spend, right? Like buying all the equipment that they ha- they say, buying their signs, doing all their stuff. So the opening costs are astronomical, but franchises take money off the top. So usually it's about 15%. So if you're making, you know, whatever a month in your box, they're taking 15% of that off the top. Meaning if you're not breaking even, they still get their 15%. And you're locked into that relationship and they can charge you, you know, monthly fees for IT, for being listed on their website. The franchisor can take a cut of your money. They have monthly spends on marketing that, you know, upwards of $10,000 a month that you as an individual owner have to play for the bigger, you know, corporate brand. 
it's so radically different to say you pay a flat fee of this much money every year and we're not going to tell you what to do and you can market in your community however you want or not and we're going to take care of all the national marketing for you and that's part of your three thousand dollars so i mean it's incredibly low when you compare it to any other national chain i really like it when the people in the comments section will bring up what we're talking about franchises versus affiliates that's what you were just explaining to everybody yeah, there was a comment I had pulled up. It was the NSCA that tried to shut down CrossFit. Nothing to do with the ACSM, correct? No, the ACSM was there was also legislation stuff that was going on with them, and they're very connected. They're both funded by Pepsi and Coke. And the reason for why they were going after CrossFit, which a lot of people don't understand, wasn't just because CrossFit was their you know main competition, and they could clearly see the increase in popularity. But it was also that those two organizations are very strict about saying you don't ever talk about nutrition. You only talk about fitness. Whereas CrossFit, what's the base of the pyramid? It's nutrition. nutrition. And it's all about getting out of sugar. So Coke and Pepsi Soda, American Beverage Association, loves NSCA and ACSM because they, they got a deal. You guys don't touch nutrition. You don't tell people what to eat and what not to eat. And there were huge efforts around the country to make it illegal for CrossFit trainers to give nutrition advice. You were supposed to be a registered dietitian and registered dietitians as a part of their program and how they get you know, certified or whatever it is, the credentials in order to be an RD, they have to prescribe the standard American diet. So they have to follow the food pyramid and American dietary guidelines. So it, these are all connected. This comment, I've seen it. Berkshire Partners own CrossFit. I'm not sure I've seen that anywhere. They need their two million back plus three percent minimum. The affiliate fees, are they really protecting CrossFit anymore? There was a time where I, I have this YouTube channel where I basically attack CrossFit semi-regularly, almost daily. <laughs> and there's a point in time where I would have been a little bit more timid about doing that because of the way that they had operated. And I'm wondering if... Wait, explain that a little more. Uh, Zach puts out the video on Greg. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I think is, you're going after Greg? That Oh, okay. G good luck, Zach. I mean, I like you and everything, but that's a, that's a bold strategy, dude. And that's kind of how I felt it would have been to have come at CrossFit at one point. Like Coca-Cola was coming after them and CrossFit fought right back. I mean, what would it have been for somebody like me to have any sort of a following saying anything that would have butt heads with them? It would have just been snuffed out. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't I mean, know how or what it would have been about, but it could have been anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, again, going back to the lawyers and the legal teams, and this is what they do for the brand, I would have been button heads with the brand with a couple of the things that I'm sure that I do currently. And I wonder if it's going to the people who bought CrossFit. Berkshire Partners is the, the name that I see thrown around. I just don't know if there's anything to that. Yeah, and, no, that's who bought it. We okay. just don't know who the investors are in the it's fund. That's a private equity firm. They're actually okay. based in Boston, which is where I am. Okay. Um, and they, there were two parties that were going to buy it together. And one backed mm -hmm. out. Um, at the last minute and Berkshire came up with the rest of the money. So they bought it, but it's a fund. So big institutional investors invest in funds as well as individuals 
and you can dictate what where you want your money to go, right? So I want my money to go in all of your funds. I am really interested in environmental causes or this or that. I want it in these funds. And then they raise enough money, they buy companies. So, I mean, I think the comment about how they need their 200 back is like, well, yes and no. They are looking, they only, they didn't buy this to break even. They bought this to, you know, have it grow significantly. Now, the way those companies work is that they invest in lots and lots of companies. Right. And, okay. and some, they get like a big hit off of one that takes off and makes a ton of money. And then they dump the lowest ones on their balance sheet. So if CrossFit makes a ton of money, great. And if it doesn't, they're, they've hedged by investing in lots of other things too. Oh, um, this is my other favorite thing. I thought Rosa bought CrossFit. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things too, especially knowing how what a small percentage he actually owned and that his small percentage I've recently learned was actually in a fund. So uh, it's not even his money that he put in. But didn't he sell Oracle, that company, the tech company? He's had all this money. Yeah, I totally not, bought it. His net worth is far less than people had. This brings this is a great parallel into I think what brought us here, which is how easily manipulated and swayed people are by words and stories and the way things are portrayed. People bought, thought he bought it. You just said he didn't. It was a joke. He owned such a little portion of it. And then we've got Zach's video, which is just rehashing stuff. And you were incredibly vocal in the comments section. And are those comments still deleted? Are they, uh, are they there? One, I cannot find it all. The second oh. one I think is there. It's still there because you called him out for deleting it. <laughs> what What is it that got you so like pissed? Well, I mean, so like I have a background as both like launching and selling startup companies. So I've sold four companies, but I also was an investigative reporter. And I take it really seriously when people have a platform. And I was going back and forth with people last night who were like, M, like, come on. Like, he's just rehashing this shit so that he can get clicks. And I've heard that. I, I understand that. But yeah, I, while I totally get that, I still think if you have 200,000 subscribers, you have a responsibility. What about 20,000 subscribers? You also have a responsibility. <laughs> You're a voice and people are listening to you and they're trusting you. Right. If, if you are too cavalier with that, it does a disservice to everybody. And I think I, you know, maybe I'm like old fashioned in that way. I just think it's really, it bothers me a lot because I mean, okay, there's a couple of things. So like when all these stories came out at the time of the crisis is what I call it. The crisis. We thought about suing for defamation. To and, who? Who are you suing? Well, the media outlets that printed the inaccurate information. New York Times. Harassment and toxic workplace and all of these different things. Yeah. I mean, the New York Times, to be that fair. Like the New York, the Andy Stump, all that stuff. The, yeah. Where it was coming from. That. Okay. All you said you that. considered it and that means it, considered it, it And it was one of those things where there were a couple of reasons why we didn't go forward with it. Primarily, I think Greg felt like he had gotten all this money. He has, you know, four young children. And he kind of just battened down the hatches and was like, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to go and I don't want to spend, you know, $40 million. It's extremely expensive to, you know, do cases like that. It would have um, been, you know, ugly and hard and it would have brought up a lot of shit that wasn't saying any of that was true, but it would have been this sort of public display and all this stuff going on for years. And well, I that's, think, I think, why people are so intrigued by it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he battened down the hatches and just said, I don't care, which is really weird because there's 
Have there been moments in your life where you've, you've uh, it, it's it's a person to person scenario just on a much larger scale? Something happened to somebody and you have a choice. You want to fight or are you just going to be like, they can think whatever they want, but I'm just going to know the truth and walk away. Is that what he did? He knew the truth and he walked away from it. I think all of his money. Yeah. I mean, I think he was in shock and I think he was heartbroken. And I think, you know, I said this all in Sevi's podcast too, but it's worth repeating. I think he has said to me that he was up for fighting the outside world for the rest of his life to protect CrossFit. I remember you saying this, yeah. Protect the affiliates. But when he couldn't count on people in his inner circle to stand up for him, who knew this was not true, but didn't want to get canceled. And I, you know, I've now helped other people who have been canceled. And what's interesting is that everybody goes through this where you really don't know who the people are in your life who will get your back and who won't. And what happens is that other people who have skeletons in their closets, they don't want to speak up because they're fearful that somebody's going to come after them. And when they see somebody being attacked who they know is innocent, it's even more terrifying because it means anybody is up for grabs. You really have to, you know, kind of collect your people that are willing to be there for you and start making good decisions about what you're going to do next. But it's heart. I mean, it's heart wrenching. It's it's unbelievably painful to think that, like, some of the closest people in your life aren't willing to stand up and say anything for you. And there were a number of really brave women in the organization who were willing to talk to the New York once I was hired. So. They had a PR firm that was telling him to resign and not talk and say you're sorry and you're never going to win and they're ne- it's going to be he said she said and no one's ever going to believe you. So don't bother, just resign. That's what right Greg went with. It's not don't bother. Right, Greg. Said. I mean, he didn't like nobody was telling him like no get out there. But I, as a journalist, because I was working on this story, he would call me all the time through this and say like, what do you think I should do? And I, my thing was, dude, as a reporter. <laughs> If I hear you saying sorry, I'm not going to say like, are you sure you're sorry? I don't think you're actually a racist. Mm. So, no, yeah, so that was brought up in the video. Did he apologize he for did. The, the tweet? Yeah, what did that look like? He apologized. Uh, I don't really have a bold, like, I, I don't remember him saying sorry. Yeah, no, he said, I think it was a whole like, I was insensitive. I would never do anything to hurt the affiliates. I'm so sorry that this caused pain. He didn't say he was a racist. He's not. There's truth to that, right? He would never do anything to hurt the affiliates. No, but so when I was hired, I basically saying sorry. I right, and I was like, "This is fucking sorry, sorry." What? (laughs) Right. At some level, you have to, you know. I mean, he didn't have a communications person. He had this massive media team, but he'd never issued a press release about all the things that he'd done, like the schools in Africa that they'd opened or this free box they were working to open in Compton because they had the highest diabetes rates in all of California and nobody was doing anything to help them. And, you know, Greg thought if we open a free CrossFit box here, we'll have more of an impact on reducing the diabetes rates in this African-American community than anybody else and was working with all, was going to church in Compton to meet all these religious leaders to get them to start working out at CrossFit. He didn't, he would never have written that up and given it to the media because he was doing it because he thought it was the right thing to do. So I think when I came on board, I was like, we have to start telling those stories, but it was sort of too late and the, the allegations were starting to escalate. And so when I got on the phone with the New York Times and they were interested in this idea of sexual harassment, toxic workplace, all this stuff, I was at the, that point, I was like just acting as a reporter, but on the, his side where I basically said, you need to give me as much as you can and trust Greg, that I'm going go to go to give, my you, side. Who are you talking to? Greg, give you well, as much as? Times reporter. Okay. Um, 
and I'll dig up information that you can verify with a third party. So it's not he said, she said, and you're going to see that you're being lied to. So that's what happened. And I was able to give her documents and information that showed that she was being lied to and that there were people who were making up these allegations because they were trying to buy the company and they had not told her that. Come on. And so she, I want to know who these people are. It'll be in the book. Yes. Uh, and she <laughs> basically realized that they had all been lying to her. So then what's fascinating is that they start going to these other media outlets that are less rigorous than the New York Times, as well as escalating the allegations. And so I would say to these reporters, like, if he was raping people, which was one of the allegations, which is mind blowing, then why didn't they tell you that when they first called you? They called you and said, like, he was a mean boss and you didn't run the story. And then they came back and said, oh, he's a sexual harasser and you didn't run the story. And now they're like, oh, actually, I forgot to tell you. Oh, well, no, that's important. He was raping I, everybody. I, what? I like, that's not how these things happen. If you were raped, you're going to call the reporter and say I was raped. Right. That... And there was never a woman who said she was raped. Never. Because you go to the police for that. Yeah. Or, I mean, like, if let's say. You, I mean, you could do any number of things. No one ever filed a complaint with HR. There was no, like, no, um, you know, the attorney general. There are all kinds of avenues by which pe women, especially, can report any kind of sexual misconduct. Never reported to any authority, only to the media. And not even to the media as a, hey, this happened to me. Only as secondhand, he's done these things. Or so, I think that the worst thing listed in the New York Times thing and brought up in Zach's video might be they talked to his ex-wife. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna listen to the ex-wife about how her skin would crawl about conversations that was had around, like what? Like, right. And there's another thing in the video where he talks yeah. about how, like, in mixed company, which I actually was offended by. What is that supposed to mean? He was talking about how like the way that women, the way that the men in the company talked about women, that they'd talk about women that way in mixed company, meaning like in front of women. And I'm like, well, I would assume they're going to talk the same in front of women that they would in front of men, right? Like, are you saying that women are so sensitive that like men can't talk about things in front of women? Like, I mean, the whole, and even with the reporters, there was this whole line of like, oh, it sounds, I remember this, I had this one funny conversation with there was another CrossFit employee who was on the call who I think was not like sure what I was going to say or how I was going to handle it. But it was basically they were saying like, it sounds like everybody was like hooking up and there was a lot of drinking. And I was like, and is this a um, illegal? Was it non-consensual? Were they underage? Like what is, what, what's the problem? You've got all these young, hot people traveling around together, single, many of the whom have now gotten married. Right. And like, so what, what are you talking about? And I mean, in journalism, like everybody's hooking up and drinking too much. So it's not like, let's not throw stones. What are Jeez, we talking journalist. about? Journalist. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but I'm serious. And, and it was like, and often, you know, Greg goes to bed really early. Like he wasn't around for a lot of the late night partying, but there was a one reporter who had this whole thing about some affiliate gathering where all these affiliate owners were hooking up with each other. And I was like, I have no idea. Like, do you know how the business model works? Like, Greg doesn't have any oversight over what happens in an affiliate. How is this a, a 
testament of Greg's leadership. Like Greg wasn't there. Why are you pinning all of this on him? John Clark wants us to triple expand on the hooking up at CrossFit HQ (laughs) (laughs) and the drinking. I mean, it just was ridiculous. And I I think people were grasping at straws at that point, trying to, because, you know, it was became a big news story. And so everybody wanted to write something, but it, you know, you get into this. um, You're saying it's just depending on how it's spun which is kind of why I brought us here from the Eric Rosa thing, because it was spun in a way where now everyone sees it in a certain way and everyone sees this as a bad thing, but it's just a thing that happens. Right. Right. For and sure. everyone was in agreement with it. There was nothing wrong with it at the time. No. And if there was, why didn't they go to HR? Yeah. Or the attorney general, <laughs> or the, or the advocacy group or, you know, anything outlet ever. I mean, I think this hasn't been publicly said before, but after Greg sold the company, um, the new owners kept 20 million in escrow because they were worried that somebody, a woman would come forward and say that something had happened. And so they basically negotiated that they would keep this 20 million. And if anybody came forward with any kind of complaint about him being a bad boss, anything, they would just have to pay them out. Oh, the- no, for two years, no one came forward, not a peep, not a single person. And they would have paid anybody who came forward. What no happened to two years? He got the 20 million. It kills you because now, okay. But they wanted to hold it as a liability. Like you're, you know, accused of all these terrible things. And if somebody comes forward, they're going to sue us. So Greg's over there like, sure, keep it. It's coming to me anyway. No one's coming forward. No one's coming forward. (laughs) So I mean, back to your earlier question of like, why does this stuff make me so mad? It's like, we're three years out. Like, no one's come forward. There was a ton of money to pay anybody out who came forward. No one got paid out. No one came forward. I have said all this stuff with on Savon's podcast, on the page. Like, this is well documented at this point. So for not, not take any of that into account, I think he thought he was safe because it was so widely reported before. But he's not. Because a new version of that story has been well told, and I know that he's consumed it. So, How do you know? because I know he's on Savan's podcast, and you can see who's watching these things, right? Yeah. Um, they comment. And honestly, with defamation, it's one of these things where actually, if you could have known, right? Like if you had just looked a little bit for it, you're culpable. So you can't say like, oh, I didn't know about the CrossFit book Instagram or whatever. Like you should have looked for it. You should have tried and you didn't reach out to Greg or I. I'm like all over the place. I'll talk to anybody. He has something in there about how like there's no comment from anybody in Greg's camp. Like, what are you talking about? How can you you comment? Nobody would come forward because of the NDA. Right. I see this everywhere. This is so important. I mean, like as a like a feminist, I feel like it's really important that we talk about this. If you had any kind of negative experience where you were bullied, you were sexually harassed, you were raped, you had any kind of exploitation happen, your NDA is essentially null and void. There is no way the justice system is going to say a private contract between you and I means you get to commit all kinds of crimes and I can't say anything about it because I agreed to not talk, right? There's a hierarchy here. A private contract, like what, I can keep slaves in my basement because I had them sign an NDA and they can't tell anybody. But that does, it's so nonsensical. And so when people say that, it's because they either don't know 
or they're trying to make an excuse for why they're not saying more. And with the Andy thing, what's fascinating is that he says in his podcast, I didn't sign it. So he is, he's admitting he was not under any constraints. He has this big platform and he won't be specific about anything. Well, before I, before I bring this up, can you tell me more about this person? What's his deal? Because here, here, here's what happens in the Zach video. Here's, here's how I was looking at it is somebody, and maybe it was even you who brought this up and go, Hey, have you seen this? And I hadn't seen it yet. Or maybe I had seen a couple of minutes of it and I go, I don't see what's wrong with it. Cause I had gotten to a certain point and I go, okay, it's well put together. He's just talking about the shutdown of the media team. And then he goes to, it's the good, the bad and the ugly. And once you get to the ugly part, I would thought, Oh, this is what's wrong with it. I see. I get it. And he brings up Andy. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was sitting there and I was thinking, interesting, SEAL Team 6. But this guy seems like a giant pussy. Why is it right now that everyone's kind of throwing dirt onto Greg that now this big bed and this is in Zach's video, he quotes and quotes as legendary SEAL Team 6, which when we bring up reporting, it goes, yeah, 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 Greg CrossFit, legendary SEAL Team 6, says... I go, all right, well, now you're biased. And what he's saying is that he never signed an NDA. He could have talked about it at any point in time, and now he's going to do it. What a giant – I'm not swearing, but it's the B word with the I-A-T-C-H. <laughs> you know, like, come on, who the hell is this guy? He's been on Joe Rogan. He's so cool. He's just a giant baby. Well, I mean – Who is he? What's up? I, like, so uh, what I don't know, I've never met him. All right. Um, and I, I, have, you know? I have read some of his emails. Mm-hmm. And I would say he should probably not be throwing stones because he definitely uses words and calls people things in his emails that would get him canceled in a heartbeat. Now, I wouldn't release those emails because I think what you say in private should be left in private, right? Unless the people who were recipients of that decided to come forward with it. But I think it's interesting. I think, you know, he's probably... I I think that was a big news story. And like a lot of the athletes that came forward, it was an opportunity to grab an audience because he, yeah. And because he had proximity to Greg, he could speak as a voice of authority. Launching pad. It's a trampoline. So we can go, Hey guys, look at me. I know him. Oh, I mean, I think, you know, I've heard from people and I don't know this for sure that it was a, the intent behind that podcast or whatever thing it was was an, a casting call, was what it was said to me, for women who he hoped would come forward for a class action lawsuit, which he would financially benefit from by organizing. Now, I don't know that that's true, but that was that's definitely a theory I've heard from people who know him. Legendary and, SEAL Team 6 casting you, call. <laughs> like, I just think if you are going out publicly and saying, hey, I was... I worked for this organization. Women were taken advantage of. I'm using my platform to give them a voice. I hope they come forward. You better be more specific or it sounds like you were a part of it. And maybe now you're feeling guilty and you don't want to be dragged into it. So you're opposed to it a little bit. Um, And I think you add to that this idea of I would do something like that if I had five women or one woman who said, hey, Em, I'm really scared. Can you be the voice for me? And I would give her story and I would say, we found her a lawyer. We're pursuing this. 
If there are other women out there who had similar experiences, please contact me so that I can put you in touch with this lawyer and these other women. There was none of that because there were no women. So it was a shot in the dark, hoping that people would come forward, I think. And, you know, obviously nobody did. This is interesting because this is the Caleb I think of. He knows what that might mean. And he says it means that legendary SEAL Team 6 means 100% disabled, as in they can't operate anymore. There's no longer a SEAL Team 6. I don't know. Do you know what that means? No. Caleb has proximity to the military, the Army. So <sighs> Did, I just remember what it was like being – a. I, I, when was that video released? 2019? I was still an affiliate owner when I saw that. Yeah, it was 2020. The part that, really, the part that held me up, and I wonder if you can talk to this at all, is the part where he talks on this being Andy speaking on the firing range, the hero wad. I hope that you are, what do you have? Do you know anything about that? I hope. Yeah. I mean, guys in battle and then you name a workout after him and where Murph came from essentially. Greg's in a car with a female employee who's significant. Another is overseas in the military and the service says this to her. Is there truth to that? And no. no. So where does it come from? So I tried it with each allegation to track down some kernel of truth, right? Because oftentimes people have something that happens and then they expand on that in a fabricated way. But you can go back and you can try and say like, well, who were you in a car with? And with Andy, right? So we're trying to place him at a time when something like this could have been said or as a joke, you know, like, I mean, it's something even out of context. Never was I able to get anybody to say that Greg ever said anything like that. Um, there was a situation in a car in DC where an ex-girlfriend of Greg's showed up. Greg and Maggie were already together and um, he didn't want her there. And they got in a fight and she was very mad because Greg had done a media piece where Mag, it might have been 60 minutes where Maggie's in the piece and she was really jealous and mad and wanted them to get back together. And they got into a screaming match and Greg pulled over. And I think she and Andy got out of the car together because Greg was mad that anybody had even let her get in the car with him. But I don't think that they realized it was going to, she was going to get as upset as she was <laughs> about Maggie. Um, and so that's that that is where I would place that incident as Andy and a woman were in a car together with Greg and there was a fight. It wasn't a physical fight. It wasn't anything other than she was very jealous and it was uncomfortable. And I think everybody in the car, there were a lot of people in the car that all remembered it the same way. Um but I mean, Greg's not like that. Greg has a huge affinity. Well, that situation along with what he tries to say is quite a stretch, isn't it? Huge. I mean, there's an altercation. There's an ex-girlfriend. She's upset. And what Andy's trying to portray it as is there is a woman in a car because she had to be because it's the way the company was. And as she's in that car, they talk about her husband. And then he says, I hope he dies, essentially. And that's how Andy says it. In. Which is disgusting. I mean, that's awful. It's like, it's it's beyond imaginable. I mean, the other thing that he, there's something about that, and I, I don't know whether this is entirely inference or it's said more directly, you probably have the clip, but like, I, I probably do. Where he says um, that people were told to tell women what Greg's like sexual proclivities were or like interest in something right and it's like what in the hell like i got I it give me two seconds this is this is what i'm here for and I, I took notes and we're not using any of my notes but here 
you know, when people ask me, what do I think about what's going on this week? The best response that I can give you is that I'm actually surprised that it has taken this long. He then explains his reasoning and the core of his argument against Glassman. It was an open secret as to who was potentially in the sexual crosshairs for Greg. I mean, that's hysterical to me, but okay, yes. <laughs> that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. I'm pretty sure that's where these sexual harassment allegations are further echoed in an article written in the New York Times titled. And then Zach continues to talk over it. But that's what you're talking about, right? The sexual crosshairs comment. Yeah. And then, and, but I, like, I, I mean, I think if you're really going to be honest, I feel like Greg's really charming and funny and whatever. And women come up and talk to him, but he's not an aggressive, you know, the, his persona is not aggressive at all. And I feel like most people who have ever had any interaction, he's magnetic. So people go up to him. And they, you know, they enjoy talking to him and whatever, but he's not overtly sexual. He's not overtly aggressive in any way. Like it's just the, this depiction of him doesn't fit at all with anybody. I mean, anybody who knows him or stuff like that. And you're just like, no, like that doesn't, that's not his personality. We're still on the Andy Stump topic and Earlier on Savon's show, he said something about how, or maybe it was yesterday. I don't really remember when I'm listening to what he's talking about because it's all somewhere. But he brings up the fact that there was a period of time while working at CrossFit that it was just anyone's dream to be there. You kind of told your parents about it. He goes, this is my dream job. Everyone's doing what they love to do. There's no vacations. There's no weekends because every day is a vacation. Every day is a weekend. You're getting paid well to do it. Greg is kind of the master commander. He's giving you things that you need as you need them and paid more than you could ever imagine. And on Andy Stump, he says, and I quote, I couldn't tolerate the thought of working for Greg another day because he was ruled by fear. So those are very conflicting statements. And I'm wondering where or why he could say something like that, where Maybe someone like Savon could say that's what it looked like for most people. What the, the the employees were fearful of Greg, or that Greg was fearful of people. The employees were fearful of Greg, and I don't think he really says why. I mean, I think, I think Zach tries to build a portrait of Greg gave them this, and he can take it all away. Yeah, well, and that's true. I mean, I I think that makes sense, but I think that's coming from the individual more than it's coming from Greg's leadership style. I think that there was a, I mean, certainly there was a lot of, um, after the media cuts were made, I think there was a more probably fear around what changes could be made. And I think people really did love their jobs. And so one of the things I've been struck by is the people who were on the media team, let's say for three years, they've lost their job now for five years, they haven't worked for the company, and they're still mad. Most people get fired from a job, they move on to their next job, and they don't really think much about it anymore. Those people are still holding a grudge. And I actually think that's sort of beautiful. They were so connected to the work they were doing, and the mission and the community of the culture that they haven't been able to find anything to replace it. I mean, that would be my read on it. And so I do think there were, you know, Greg would talk about it as though it was a family. And so people probably thought they had ultimate job security. And after those media cuts happen, people realize they don't, it's a job. And, you know, for better or worse, the company can pivot. And it's really because Greg owned all the, the entire company, it's up to him. And so I can imagine as an employee, you feel like, oh God, you know, I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope I'm 
my output is high enough that I'm recognized for the work that I'm doing and I'm safe. Um, I mean, I think the other thing that was interesting was through the, all the toxic workplace stuff. Greg wasn't in the office. It, it was a remote company far before COVID. And so everybody was all over the country. And uh-huh. so when people talk about proximity to Greg, my guess would be that there were meetings that would happen, right? And maybe it would be like 10 people would be invited to go meet with Greg. And there were probably major sort of like FOMO if you weren't invited to those. <laughs> okay, so he's upset. It's not like you're in the office and you're going to bump into him and be like, hey, I've got this great idea, boss, right? Like, let me tell you about it. And so because it was virtual, having those in-person interactions fed something in people. And I think because he's such a genius and he's so creative that people like being around him and he's a lot of fun. So I think if you were feeling insecure about your role in the company or your department, or, I mean, certainly when I came in, there was a lot of, you know, sort of dysfunction amongst the executive team. And I think part of that probably had to do with people feeling insecure about what their role was. And probably part of that had to do with proximity to Greg. So I don't, but I think that the onus is on the individual to recognize that. I don't think Greg was doing that by design. I don't think that was a management style. I don't think he likes any of that. I think he wants people to get along and be able to sort of get their work done and be very effective and efficient with small groups of people. I think that's his preference. And you know, he kind of weighs in where he needs to. And so, but I can imagine that people, you know, wanted to be close to him and wanted to be around him. I mean, he's, he's like a other, you know, politicians or celebrities that I know where people want to be with the person all the time. And then when they're not, they, they feel the sense of rejection. The person hasn't rejected them, but they just sort of, why am I not there? Why didn't he ask me? Oh, he called you. He didn't call me. And there's a there. I definitely saw that when I came in as people being like, oh, did he talk to you? And when we were in the crisis, I said to him, you can't talk to anybody because you like this is really like a very small group of people you want to sell the company. Like we got to be exclusively focused on that. And so I think there were people who felt really left out and didn't know what was going on. And I don't think anybody ever thought he would ever sell. So I think there was a lot of people feeling left out. How much do you sell for? Is it out there? Um. 200 million. 200 million? Okay. I didn't know if it was out there anywhere. Uh, I think that was listed somewhere in the Berkshire thing with a 3% number too. Well, it wasn't supposed to be public, but Rosa made it public in the media. Ooh, okay. Yeah. God, he's just so good at everything. What's the your right? flame time? Yeah. Come on. The people want to know. <laughs> like, I do CrossFit to stay out of the nursing home. I am right, right, right. Okay. All right. I like that. Like street parking is way more my thing right now. I'm really interested. Did you see the comment from Miranda? She was listening. She was here. Uh, I'm throwing them on the screen. I was wondering if you saw it. I didn't bring it up. But yeah, she said that she liked that you were here talking to me. She's fantastic. I feel like she's kidding. But street parking is awesome. I mean, I know you guys are all CrossFitters and that's great. But it really is like, especially when you travel a lot, it's my go-to on everything. And I have been doing it with my son, which is really fun. He's 11 and he loves it. So really fitness freedom. He probably likes that. Right. I don't know. Maybe we should try that. I feel like (laughs) when I travel, I'm like, did you do it? He's like, no, I want to do it with you, mom. And I'm like, Oh, that's really cute. (laughs) We can blow the lid off this thing and you can listen to Jonathan Adams. You've got the technology, the cell phone, the link, send Greg a link. He comes down and he goes, okay, what do you want to (laughs) know? Right. What do you want to know? Andy Stump? Nothing. You, I don't I don't even know that guy. <laughs> uh, 
you, I reached out to you or you, I don't remember. I think, I think you said, Hey, did you see this? And I go, you want to do a show? And then now we're here and it had to do with Zach's video. My biggest takeaway with Zach's video was that it was biased. I think that was kind of where you were leading to and that he didn't reach out to you. And he has a platform with 10 times the amount of listeners than mine does. Would you have gone on his show? Yeah, I mean, I actually was texting last night with Sevi and I was like, why don't you invite, he's been on your show. Why don't you invite him on your show and I'll come on. We can do a little who's got what. Um, I have no, I mean, I'm not happen? Huh? Why? Why doesn't something like that happen? And why? Why? why did, have you ever spoken with Zach? No, I. He wasn't on my radar at all. I had no idea. I mean, like when it was sent, when the link was sent to me, I was like, "Who is this?" Like I've never heard of this person before. Um, and I think you know, I'm. If anybody is listening to this and they're working on a book or a podcast or a whatever, and you have questions about any of this, like please reach out because it's really important. I mean, not just. I made that comment to Zach of like, are you an idiot? Like, or are you doing this as a fight? Because like, this is beyond dumb what you're doing in terms of putting yourself in a vulnerable position. But I also just think like, whoa, can we all just take a beat and try to get things right? Should and I send him a link right now? I can get him on this show. Do it. Yeah. All right. I'll do I'm it. Not, like I, there, I, there's nothing, there's, I'm not scared of anything, right? Like, I don't think there's anything to hide. I think this is all out there. And it, I'm more curious of why he did this and why he did it now. It seems odd to me. All right. I'm doing it. This is going to, if he comes on, that'd be great because I don't like just taking the piss out of somebody. That's kind of not my MO and I'm sure it's not for yourself either. No. And I think, you know, as a journalist, like as you, as the host of the show, have a responsibility in a way to say to him, Hey, we're going to be talking about your thing. Right. You know, I remember as a young reporter covering a story about cell phone coverage and I went to the airport in D.C. and like interviewed people in terminals. And I said, you know, do you have Sprint? Do you have Verizon? Do you have T-Mobile? And everybody hated Sprint. And I remember my editor being like, OK, now you have to call Sprint and tell them that everybody hates their coverage. And I was like, what? Like, that's scary. I don't I know. love Sprint. They don't even <laughs> exist anymore, do they? No, but I, I mean, this is 100 years ago. But I just remember calling them and being like, um, this is so awkward. I have to tell you that everybody hates your service. Do you have a comment? But that's what you do, right? You have to give people a chance. It's like being able to face your accuser. It's not a yeah, you don't so, just like have the power of the pen and write whatever you want. You have to be responsible. I, I sent him the link. We'll see if he pops on at any point. I'll, I, I never asked. How much time do you have? Probably like another 25 minutes. Or so. Perfect. I hope he comes on in the next 25 minutes. Uh, Ellison NYC, you know who this is, right? I, that's my girl. This is giving this douche way too much attention. He's not worthy of anyone's time or energy. And I don't, I, I, I just think he was incredibly misguided in making that. And here's what happens when I make these videos is the second you're presented with information on the contrary, you make another one. So I'm wondering if he's got a part two kind of teed up. Well, you know, it's interesting to me. I like, I was disappointed that he didn't talk about the NSCA settlement because that feels like the biggest news in CrossFit. Yeah, you mentioned that. That's important. Um, and I also think, you know, 
some of the mistakes that he made, like this sort of correlating the open registration to the success of the business is sloppy. But I wonder where that comes from. And I think, you know, he's probably a big CrossFit Games fan. That's how I saw that bias coming through. And was Well, you heard like, him in the beginning, though, right? The beginning yeah. of his video where he said he was bought in. But it also maybe was because it was a competitive outlet, which alludes to what you were saying. Yeah, but, you know, there's also really interesting things like, and I had this in my notes to talk about, too, is that, like, the um, diversity of athletes in the CrossFit Games is something that I've been looking at. I was sent, I think I sent you a message a couple of weeks about how I'm going to do a post on this. And part of this is that the DEI council seems to have all fallen apart, right? And they're having all these issues with the adaptive athletes, which you've covered. But when he was talking about the restructuring of the Games and how you know, Greg went to this format where he was inviting people from countries where if you only had one affiliate, you got to send an athlete. That was all a diversity effort. Now, it wasn't called that, but the whole point of it was to have more representation of more countries around the world. And so I have these numbers here, which is interesting. So in 2019, the last games that Greg was responsible for, there were 158 people who qualified. Um, there were 14 who qualified but didn't attend. How and many? 114? Uh, there were 14 who qualified okay. didn't attend. Okay. There were 158 total, and 10 of them were black, <sighs> roughly 6%. Um, yeah. 54 were non-white, which is 34%, and 94 were white, which is about 59%. For women, it was five black athletes, 3%, 48 non-white, which is about 33%. Now, go to 20. 22 last oh, no. year with all these diversity oh, no. efforts we have zero black people zero that's zero do you want me to say zero again because it's zero can you do this as well while you say it zero <laughs> zero um three non-white and 37 white so that's 92.5 percent white people so that was for men. And for women, it was zero black people, black women, three non-white and 37 white. So that's 92.5. So if we're going to start judging people by the color of their skin with these diversity efforts, which seems to be part of what we're all supposed to be aware of now, um, the restructuring of the games that Greg did in that last year made the games far and away more diverse than anything the new owners have done in the name of diversity. Did you hear the most recent? I'm sure this kind of missed your radar, but there is a restructuring in the way that they're allotting spots at the CrossFit Games, which has simply made it impossible for further spots from countries such as Africa to get more spots to the Games. Have you caught that? Caught wind of that at all? No, explain that a little more to me. <sighs> it, this is very much one of those statisticians things, but the broad strokes of it are, Right now, Africa, I believe, gets an athlete, man and woman, to the CrossFit Games. And in order for them to get multiple athletes, they need to prove that they have the competitive field to do so. And the way that they assort these points, it makes it impossible for Africa to get more of these people. They could be the greatest athletes on earth, and still, because of the way CrossFit has set these systems up, you can still only have one of each. This is a big topic maybe a month and a half or two ago. They released what, let's just say, Justin Medeiros is the best. He's worth 10,000 points. There, there's no way that if there's 50 people in Africa who come out of nowhere and become the best CrossFitters 
arguably better than Medeiros that they can make it. One person gets there, which is just kind of ponying off of your comment right yeah. there. How yeah. they, they've actually gone the other way. Greg brings in the entire world and they say, hey, you're only allowed one. And that's Africa. I think it was the same in the Asia continent as well. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um... Strength of field is the, yes, Jeffrey Birchfield. Right. The strength of field. But yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I just think like, you know, again, it's like Greg would never say diversity was like a priority. It was really a meritocracy. And Can I ask you if there's any sort of conversation between maybe you and Greg or anyone over there, how CrossFit is viewed? What's the scope? You're sitting there, you're Greg, you look over and you go, wow. Okay. That's what's happening over there. Is, is there anything like that? Like, oh, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot. Of Any, that. Anything worth sharing? <laughs> I'm super curious. I, I just, because I was an affiliate owner and every so often I'll kind of peep around their Instagram page and just go, okay, so that's what they've got going on. I wonder what it'd be like if I was still there and I wonder how they're doing. And then I don't really think I like the way that that looks. And I wonder yeah, if you've got anything going. I think, you know, his joke is that he sold the Hells Angels to Costco. And right. um, I don't think it's a, like a kind of like an ex-girlfriend situation where he's like, oh, what, you know, who are they hanging out with and what are they doing? I don't think it's th that kind of thing. I think it's more of he predicted when he sold that the things that have happened would happen. And I think that's kind of hugely satisfying. Is it inevitable or is it like, like if he was still there, it would have happened anyway? Yeah. I mean, just to be like super clear. Greg was beholden to the affiliates. Everything he did was to protect and guide and, you know, sort of safeguard and allow them to be successful if they could be successful on their own. That was his, that was his, he was, that was his master, right? Like that's who he focused right, on. Right, right, right. Now the focus is on making the investors happy. That's a very, very different impetus, right? It's a very, very different way of deciding, you know, what to do and what not to do. And I think, you know, you've seen this with all of the leadership changes. I think it's probably very, very hard to come in as a new owner of a company like CrossFit, think you're going to make tons of money, that it's going to be really easy and realize that actually it's about a culture and it's a community and it's a mission driven business that was always the mission first. And so to come in and turn it into what you would think of as a traditional business. That's what is it that people like them see? Untapped potential? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, going back to that like fish oil, it's like all this money that was left on the table and we'll just grab up all that money. And, oh, gosh, if we, it wasn't such a controversial company with such a contrarian owner, everybody would do CrossFit. Right. So we'll turn it into something where everyone's doing it. And it, that completely neglects this sort of independent model of the affiliate and how you see such different sort of character and flavor from one affiliate to another, but also how it grows organically by people doing it having a positive experience and telling other people about it rather than you shoving it down people's throats and telling them that they need to do it. Right. That's right. the opposite. And I think it's a more traditional business model to say like, we'll develop this great marketing campaign and everything will be great rather than saying, Hey, really focus on the clients that are in front of you. Get them great. That's results. What Miranda's comment was about earlier, by the way, too. street parking, Miranda. Yeah. She, she mentioned, yeah, just make the people happy. Like don't, don't not traditional. Don't, don't just do general marketing. Right. And in my, in my opinion, that's kind of the difference between a company like Miranda and street parking versus potentially a Ryan Fisher. 
I don't, I don't see street parking ads all over my Facebook page. I see Chalk Fitness, and it goes, how to make your freaking butt huge <laughs> in three days. And it's like, all right, three days, huh? <laughs> right. Great. Sign me up if it works. Let's do it, right? Right. So, I, and, and, and that's kind of what they didn't understand when they bought CrossFit from Greg, was they were trying to put make your butt huge in three days, but they really had make your people happy, and they don't know how to do that. Yeah, and I think there's a – That made Greg upset. Like, like he had all these people, right? And when I left my affiliate, I always called my members my kids. They were my kids, and I wanted to take care of them. I wanted everything that was good for them. And I'm sure that's how he felt about the affiliates. Uh, is there a part of him, I'm sure, that he just feels as if, like, ah, crap, what am I going to do? And maybe that's what he's doing with the broken science thing. I don't know. I think the broken science initiative is a very clear um, next move that incorporates a lot of the stuff that he learned from CrossFit. I said this in my talk that I did in Arizona, which you were there for. But just to repeat, I think it's interesting that Greg defined fitness when he realized that there was no definition as a scientist, essentially providing measurable definition for what was being done. And when he was peer reviewed and it was fraudulent and he sued and a federal judge called it the most egregious case of scientific misconduct and fraud that she'd ever seen in her 25 years on the bench, he realized, wait a minute, peer review is all you know, fraudulent and people are making up data points. What does that mean that medicine is experiencing the same thing? Because that's where we're really relying on peer review. It can't be as bad as fitness was. Well, sure enough, yes, it was. And so then when, you know, he was canceled, we basically spent two years going back and doing this deep dive into the philosophy of science and figured out that when Karl Popper denied induction, and we don't have to get into all of this because I know it gets into the weeds a little bit, but that we really got taken down this path where consensus replaces predictive value and outcomes are no longer predictable and they're not required to be. So validation, the notion that scientific experiments can be replicated, it, it shouldn't. there's no reason to believe that that's actually part of the process anymore. So to you know, sort of go back to like, where is Greg now? Greg's doing what he always did. Right. Focusing right. on science as a bigger thing. Now, science includes health and his non compete. Fitness is science. His non compete is up. It oh, is four is, what, year non compete. It's up in a year from July. Oh, so wait. So, more on that, please. He, it's they, up, but they it's not. They only made him sign a four year non compete. Which so, is what happens then? Beyond ridiculous. They, I mean, so that means that he will be able to do anything in the fitness world that he wants in a year and three months. Interesting. Will he? I'm not going to say any more on it, but I like will. CrossFit Square, just maybe Fit Cross. I don't know. Do it yeah, again. And I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility. I just, I think that like, why would we not consider that when it's like there are all these affiliates that are coming to these events and are begging for his guidance and leadership? So oh, that would be stupid then for him not to. I mean, I think he is less interested in fitness, just to be clear. I think yeah. he's very much focused on science. And I think the notion that, you know, what CrossFit Health was starting to build and doing a really good job with in terms of galvanizing all these doctors that were CrossFitters that understood the power of the methodology is gave birth to what we're doing now. And so I don't want to mislead people and say that, like, we're going to start some sort of CrossFit because that's definitely not, you know. Well, could the broken science brand possibly have a branch that is fitness? Easily. Easily, because I mean, CrossFit had a branch that was CrossFit Health, which right. was the medical sphere of it to a degree. No, that's right. And it but wasn't I mean, it was science. Crazy. And this is going after the 
maybe there's broken fitness. I don't know. Yeah. When in the agreement, they agreed to let him. This was another thing that was really funny in the negotiations for the sale, which were they there was a carve out we created that said that he could do anything in the health space. Well, wait, <laughs> what is that? you guys aren't in the health space. You didn't know you were in the health space. He owns the rights to his writing and all his ups. What do you think the L1 is? They didn't know what they were doing when they bought the company. It all makes sense. Bosman is intentionally taking the open in the game so that everybody just, <laughs> that, that, it all makes sense now. So you're telling me that I got to take my broken science L1. <laughs> That's right. It's coming. It's coming. I'm just but, calling it broken fitness. I mean, we are going to do a curriculum for, you know, school age kids, but it's really going to be for families. And I feel like CrossFitters get this stuff better than anybody. I mean, we've had, we just did this big event at Hillsdale College that was more than 500 people that came to a dinner to listen to Greg talk. And affiliates drove, you know, five hours to come and hear him talk. And it was really, really interesting how many people were really into the science stuff, in part because I think they recognized that when Greg was talking to them about fitness, when they first got involved with CrossFit, it was contrarian and it didn't really make sense. And it was going against what other people were saying, but then they did it and they realized that it worked and it changed their lives and it provided them a business and an opportunity and it made their lives better. So they're open to the ideas of broken science, like our curriculum and what we're trying to explain to people, even though it feels tough, there's a initial belief in Greg and his wisdom well, he's just a leader. I have this thing that I put together and I haven't shown it to you yet, but in the Zach video, he has this thing that I think you've picked up on a video of mine of Greg before, which is that he has this, this vision and, and that's what people see from Greg and it's what they don't have anymore. There's no leader. There's no nothing to point you to your true North. There's no mantra. There's no business, whatever. It's just hogwashy who's throwing us the most money. And that's what he is. And that's what people are going to follow. And it, there, I just pulled up like 14 different comments here that said, take my money. There's, there's there. I pulled up this one. There's 10 to 15,000 affiliates out there. And I'm sure that many of them, maybe five to 8,000 would be like, oh, okay, we'll do that. Because that's what we want to do in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I had originally to be just to be like, I don't want to, create some sort of riot here. And I do want us to like be getting along with HQ as much as we can. We have gone to them about a couple of issues that we hoped that they would take seriously and they haven't. So I'm frustrated. We'll put it there. You, you but, and me both. What are we, we going to be frustrated about now? I think there is something natural. I mean, I wish we could work together with them on this in some ways, because I think that there is such a natural way of partnering on the science stuff which really extends into health and making good health decisions. So like at our conference in Arizona, we had Tom Seafried, the cancer researcher, who's really looking at cancer as a metabolic disease. And what's his prescription? It's essentially CrossFit, like including fasting and, you know, obviously other protocols. And then we had Malcolm Kendrick, who was talking about statins. And it's the and so these guys are all very much in line with the CrossFit protocol for nutrition and health. And so it's, but there is a, um, my sense is there is a lack of interest from CrossFit on the health front. And I know that they've recently revived some of the CrossFit health stuff and they've been trying to, you know, they have the doctors out for that L2, but it's unfortunate because I think there would be a real way to partner on some of these things if they were interested. And I know when I was on Savan's podcast, I pointed out that there was, you know, 
some comment about the CrossFit, you know, food, like what you should eat or what you shouldn't eat, some post on Instagram. And the comments were crazy. I mean, it was it was not the normal <laughs> CrossFitters commenting on that. It, and I hadn't looked at that. Well, for what do you mean by that? So, I mean, I mean, people were like, this is crazy. Like carbs aren't bad. It's just moderation. And like, you, huh. you know, huh. uh, why, why can't you have sugar? And oh, no. I don't, you're telling people to eat fat. I think that's crazy. Or I'm a vegan and I'm fine. And it, nobody was responding to them. So in the old days, people would be like either nice or they would be like the Russells and they'd be more aggressive. But oh, people God. would be like, no, actually, like, check out this video or this is why we prescribe this. There was no rebuttal to any of that, which I think could be just like we were desperate for people. And so we'll take everybody and we want to get along with everybody, which means you lose all identity, right? Well, it's like what we're right doing there. Here. Did you see the stat in the open that was they had a hundred and something thousand new CrossFitters participate? And I know you don't like to correlate the CrossFit open to the health and the wellness of the CrossFit ecosystem. But there's someone, I think it was Sean Wilden, who said on the 23.3 announcement that they had this many new people sign up, but they also only showed... 80,000 or maybe 13% increase, which showed a net negative of, a, a, I don't know, 25%. It's like, oh, new people. But what about the people who left? Well, because- that's my point. That's how they share information now. Yes. Oh, they, yeah. They, they tell you what the increase is. They don't tell you from when, and they don't tell you what you're starting with. So you can't make any judgment of like, are you up or down from 2020? Why is that? Why do they do that? It's got to be because it's bad. If it were good, if they if they bought the company with fifteen thousand affiliates and they were at sixteen thousand affiliates, they'd say we're growing. Right. They don't say that. They, they just say, not say anything. Hundred affiliates, you know, last month or something, and you're like, and you lost three hundred, so you're down, right? Like, can you tell me what the absolute number is? I haven't gotten a message back from Zach. I've been checking periodically. I think that was Emily's phone. Is that you? The ding. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that one. It's okay. People were wondering. They thought like Zach telling him he's not coming on. He hasn't responded to me yet. I should turn off this. Well, you did say you had about twenty minutes. I think we're over that. But there was a reason we were here. It had to do with the Zach video, and I think that the main things that people wanted to know about, and if there's anything else that you could give anybody, it would have been he tried to paint Greg as the racist, sexist, rapist, right? Not, not, and, and I mean, it's not maybe he didn't paint him that way, but if there's a, a there's a middle point as a journalist, he went 20% towards the side of this is what he actually is, and he didn't sit right in the middle. And I would say that you are somebody who is some who, who knows everything, you know, everything, you're close to Greg. <laughs> I, know. I, I, I know a couple of things because I, I look everywhere. And I would say that I know more than Zach because I pay more attention. I know about your existence, the CrossFit book. I listened to your podcast with Savon, which you said that Zach has listened to as well. But you would say that Zach's way off base. There, there's no ground to stand upon. The, the comments about the NDAs, you can't just rape somebody and cover it up with an NDA. You can't there, – there's no evidence. And even Andy Stump said that he isn't racist. So – what is it that people are so mad at Greg about? And the answer is nothing. Yeah. And I think to go back to 2020, when this all happened, I mean, this is frustrating because it's like, we've talked about this, right? That we're three years out. This is not, there was nothing new in that video. Not directly 12 daily doses. 
inferred through the Andy stump. That's important for me to bring up. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, 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 that's okay. That. But I think, you know, people were had been locked away. And I think people were mentally struggling. And I think they were angry and frustrated and scared. And we know when people are scared, they're not good at making good decisions. And so I think there was a lot of anger. And also, I think after something like quarantine, people are really looking for things to like get, uh, you know, get involved with and a sense of purpose and a sense of community and feeling like you're belonging. And when there's some upheaval, well, it's kind of easy to be a bandwagon jumper. And so, you know, I mean, I don't like I was I don't were bandwagon jumping off of the gray train. And, and I think they were, hop aboard. I mean, most of those people never met Greg, right? They don't, they had no experience or proximity to him. And, the, you know, a lot of even the athletes, they'd met him like once at the games or something in a passing. It wasn't like they ever worked for him. And so, but what's hard is like, why are, why is this still being perpetuated? Like at the time you can kind of be like, everyone's a little crazy. Right. right. Information. And it wasn't handled properly at the beginning of the, you know, communication strategy wise, but now I don't know. I, that's why with this video, I really do wonder why is it that they, have you seen this? No, I was, I have a private chat. So I've like, Oh, the comments but these these have been coming up like crazy i, I could have brought up maybe 20 of those <laughs> so nice yeah. people are in love with you dude no i mean i think you know the truth is i think people love like there's something about greg and what he has provided to all of us that's so important to recognize and i think now people are recognized i mean when i explained what he meant when he said floyd 19 on Savan's podcast, it was really one of these things where I think a lot of people didn't understand it, but they didn't know and they didn't want to ask and they didn't want to get involved. And then when you realize that he was actually saying the opposite of something that was racist, I think it makes people feel um, enraged by the whole thing. And I think, you know, if I can be a conduit for that and help people process that and move forward. And I mean, the big thing is like when you hear the shit in the news, don't take it at face value and, and take a minute. Like, we have forgotten the power of forgiveness and we have, and I mean, Greg doesn't need to be forgiven. I think people need to forgive themselves. And I think, you know, anybody who's gone to Greg or gone to me through Instagram and said, geez, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand what that meant, but I got swept up in the whole thing. And I feel terrible now that I understand, you know what? Like I totally get it and I forgive you and I don't expect everybody's perfect. But the people who were really catalysts in this whole thing, who still haven't acknowledged their mistakes and still haven't done anything like they, I do think those people need to do some. Who, who, who would those people be? Maybe not. I mean, names if you'd like, but I'm just curious who those people would be. Who needs to clear well, I mean, Ben Bergeron is somebody that I know. I used to work out at CFNE and um, he's. Ben Bergeron sucks. He That's is my take. hugely problematic. I will never. Why is he problematic? He may be one. This is my language. Let's go. What do you do? He, I mean, he acknowledged essentially that Greg was like his dad and that Greg was not a racist, but that for his business, he needed to come out. And he went on Instagram and like cried. I mean, he should he should actually probably go into acting. And I think, you know, he sell, he sells these workshops that are completely plagiarizing Greg. I mean, they're Greg's words. And Greg and I joke about like, wow, he really has just taken that and run with it. And Greg didn't care when Greg was running the company because he wanted everybody saying his words. He wanted that message to go out into the world. And he didn't care if he got credit for it or not. But when Ben did what he did by canceling Greg and being somebody who used his proximity to Greg to create credibility around this stuff, 
that that's disgust. I mean, that's like talk about lack of integrity. And so for somebody who peddles integrity, I mean, he literally does these workshops where he talks about integrity, like hold the phone. And I think, you know, Julie Fouché was another person. She had Greg on her podcast all the time. If Greg was a sexual predator and she's a woman and she huh. had him on that podcast all the time, she should address that. And if he's not, and she claimed that, you know, she was can't, she couldn't stand by him. Why? Why couldn't you stand by him? And, you know, she's profited pretty well with her wild health stuff and all this other stuff by him leaving. And I heard Ben did a podcast. Um, this was over a year ago, but he basically acknowledged that he wanted to start this training academy for high school students or something. And that had Greg still been in power or had the company, he would never have been able to do that. And I thought, Ooh. bingo. Well, that explains why you did what you did. And that, I, you know, that's unforgivable in the sense that until you take ownership for what you did and why you did it and that you hurt somebody else, when you use your public platform to better yourself at the, you know, detriment of somebody else, I, I will not forgive that. And I mean, Greg is more forgiving than I am. I think that people joke that I'm a henchwoman, right? By the people have called you a pit bull. Pit bull, henchwoman. NYC goes, Greg's got a pit bull. <laughs> I, I got a pit bull. It's an actual one, though. You're you're the live human pit bull. But you know what? That's okay. I feel like that's an honor. If he can relax and forgive everybody and let oh, yeah. all the anger, though, that's cool. I can do that for him. How does he feel about, and I don't know if there's that much proximity to him and people like Jason Kalipa, NC Fit, because this is, I have a huge branch I can go on here. I can make it a smaller one. He has a slew of affiliates, NC Fit. He's got a program he sells to the world if they want affiliate programming but really it's all there because of greg and someone like him de-affiliates and then he re-affiliates what does that feel like or look like to someone like yourself and greg i mean i don't know enough about that to comment and i you know but i think like everybody i you know greg and i are both huge sort of libertarian independent right like you're responsible for yourself and you get to make the best of yourself and people should help provide opportunities for you and it's up to you to take advantage of those opportunities and better yourself and so if somebody's reaffiliated and then reaffiliated i mean I, I think there are two things like i think with the new owners there's a lot of stuff that greg would say he I, clearly he would never have done and i think it would be hard for him to say if he were an affiliate that he would be affiliated right now but I think if it's good for somebody else, Greg really still loves the affiliates. Oh, yeah. People connected to their success because it works. And because for him, he wants to reverse chronic disease and he wants people to be healthy and he knows there's a way to do it. So I think for him, you know, anybody who reaffiliates, he and I had joked a long time ago, we haven't talked about this for a while, but that like if he was running the show, would he let those people reaffiliate? And he had said no. Oh, and so was that a serious? Hi, Trish. Um, She's finally here. I think it's like, actually, it was sort of, you know, again, it's like you're you get to wean out all of the assholes when they deaffiliated. So it's like, bye. See ya. Like, we don't need you. We're actually probably a stronger unit with the people who really get this and aren't so judgmental and aren't jumping to conclusions like that would be the cohort. I would say, like, great. Like, we're good. Well, it's Savon's example, which is there was a live grenade in the room and you can see who did what, right? You, you, have you heard him say that? No, but it's good. There's a room full of people. 
someone just drops a grenade, the pin is pulled. There's going to be people who jump on the grenade. There's going to be people who run away. There's going to be people who throw kids in front of the grenade. And that's what happened when all of this stuff went down. And you can see who de-affiliated, essentially leaving the room. You can see people like Ben Bergeron, who essentially threw a child on top of the grenade. goes, oh, yeah, I'm out for whatever. Sign up for my schooling program for all these <laughs> What is that? Oh, isn't that CrossFit, Mr. Bergeron? <laughs> so that, that, that's a that's a Sevon-ism right there. But he wouldn't allow him back in because he goes, okay, if there's another grenade in the room, I know what you're going to do. You're out. Hey, screw you guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think like even with thinking a little bit about like broken science affiliates where we would use our school curriculum and we'd sort of like help people make decisions about cancer. We're going to be do we're in the process of making these books that are basically like the cancer treatment protocol book the statin protocol, cholesterol protocol books that are really for like patients. So like if you are diagnosed with cancer, you can buy this, you know, $10 book and it'll tell you who the doctors are and what you can start doing and all of these other great things. Um, as well as these other little biographies that I'm like really obsessed with on all the people that are great. Share, share. What do those look like? Are you on them right now? The biographies? Yeah. Yeah. So there, we have like what we call our pantheon of experts that are different than what the science field really studies right now. So like the Karl Popper's being replaced by somebody else. Ours are mostly physicists and people who are working scientists who have looked at the philosophy of science. They all have really interesting lives. And I feel like as a, you know, storyteller, it's really important to bring these people to life and give them stories that people can grasp onto. But the idea of having these little communities of people who read these books and, you know, whether it's because like your mom is diagnosed with cancer and you're trying to help her and you're wondering how we've gotten this all wrong or you need questions to ask the doctor that will help you sort of steer her health path and you can get involved with a community of other people. It's going to be very much like CrossFit affiliates in the sense of people coming together over a common cause and recognizing that things aren't right and that there's a probably a better way to go forward together and that we're stronger together, but that you have to be brave enough and smart enough, as Greg always says, you have to be both in order to do it. And so I think, you know, we're really, I think I joke that COVID was a gift to us because people are talking about science now in ways that they never were before. There's a general skepticism about the advice that we're getting and how well it was researched or validated. And, you know, I also think CrossFit's like that, like these CrossFit affiliates, no matter where you go, are like little families that kind of get that there's a better way to do things and that through hard work, you can take care of people in a way and you can be a better person and you can lead a more fulfilling life. That's all ingrained in what we're doing now. So brokenscience.org, everybody should go. And if you register on there, we're going to do a bunch of affiliate focused events that are small. First one's in June and I'm going to have that registration up by the end of the week, I hope. Um, and they're going to be limited. But what I'm doing is basically that will be emailed out to the distribution list on brokenscience.org. And so if you don't get into the first one. Let's say the first one's only going to be, it's going to be limited to about 50 people. But if you're 51 on that list, you're number one on the next event. Because I feel like we've had a hard time with people wanting to come to things and not being able to. So we're going to go from that distribution list throughout till we get to everybody. And, you know, if anybody has ideas too, like, let you know, hit me up, let me know. So that's the next thing for the Broken Science Initiative. Yeah. So we're doing the school, we're working on a school curriculum, but we also have these little books that are coming out. Um, and we have a ton of awesome content. And Greg and I were just talking because in his Hillsdale talk, I was like, you need to talk about the NSCA thing more. 
And so he went into great detail about that. Those talks should be up on our YouTube channel and they're available on uh, brokenscience.org. They're probably up tonight, um, the Hillsdale talks. But they, um, the NSCA case, because CrossFit isn't getting into it at all, we are going to. And we are launching a whole section of our website that will have all of the legal documents Ooh. that were public um, that I have, as well as lots of other back end stuff that I got as a reporter. Um, and that will be available for CrossFit affiliates to dive into as much as they want or the public. I mean, it's an incredible case study in scientific misconduct. And Malcolm Kendrick is in a big lawsuit right now with the Daily Mail on Sunday. And we're going to do a big investigation into all of that as well. Um, and then we have some really fun columns and other stuff that are coming out in a podcast and it'll be fun. Great. So your book, when yep. does that come out? You said you had 60 pages done. Is yeah, there an estimated number of pages? No. And that's not, I feel like I could write the whole thing today. Okay. There's no ending. I mean, like I don't have the ending. The broken science stuff has to play when out. You just a blog then it's just going to turn into a blog where you're constantly updating it. It just keeps going. I thought about building a website like with the audio from Greg and I and like, you know, doing sort Ooh. of like chapters or novellas. But I think it's got to be put together. I mean, he really ha he follows a perfect hero's journey arc where he grew up in this household and he rejected all of the sort of fundamental, you know, teachings from his father about science. He enters the fitness world and he recognizes really clearly that they're lacking there. And so it's like the hero's journey is like the hero grows up in this very special environment and then leaves and doesn't recognize how special it was until he gets in an environment where it's missing. And so Greg's journey is like just so perfect for that. But I'm not in a rush to do it. I feel like everybody keeps saying, when's it going to be done? And I want it to be done really well. It feels like such an honor to be able to be the one to tell it Yeah. that I don't want it to be. Well, if people had to know within a decade, is that feasible? Oh, yeah, probably. I mean, I within five years. Yeah, it's, okay. and it's gonna be like there's so many adjunct projects that could come off of this, like whether it's a documentary or a film or, you know, it's going to probably be a lot of stuff. Here's something I got. Because we came here for the Zach video and we're talking about the book right now and you said you've interviewed a bunch of people. Have you talked to Sevan at all? And is he going to be in the book? Anything about this guy? Because this guy's got a show. He talks all the time. It seems like he knows a lot. Savan knows everything. I mean, he's uh, like, he I, says, but I don't know if I believe it. I, I know everything. All right. He and I would like sort of look at each other and I'd be like, are you going to say it? Am I going to say it? Do you not want me to say it? Like there's a whole funny thing that goes on with us that made that so funny. <laughs> and I, like every time I'm in San Cruz, we like go out and drink like 30 margaritas together. He knows every, like he's so good at what he does because I think he's. I tell that dude to write a book all the time about his kids. Like do, do more stuff on your kids. Maybe well, I tell him like YouTube videos for sure, but. I think, it, I don't know if you've interviewed him for like anything about him in the book, because he'd be as, about as close as I could imagine to this entire Greg thing that we brought up today, or maybe yeah, something. No, I mean, I think Savan has provided me with an incredible education on how things were and, you know, other sides to stories that I've heard. And he's definitely a sounding board for me. I don't think he's ever done an official interview. Um, maybe he will, but I don't know that he wants to be a sort like a named source. Got but it. There's no way that I could tell the story without talking about his influence. I mean, he's a remarkable figure in the story of CrossFit. Right. So the book's going to start with Greg as a hero story. And that, I think that's awesome. I mean, I, I even heard a little bit of it, I think, at the broken science thing where he said his dad told him to go count 
what was it pennies or something he had to count some some increment of something which he cheated on and his dad knew because he was a mathematician it's cool the whole the whole story is going to be cool and would somebody like Sevan play into that? Is it going to stretch that far? In, in yeah, the- I mean, I think that the, the, I mean, it, to get into like sort of the writing process, one of the things that is hard is that there are really key figures in this who I, who won't talk to me. And um, so I kind of, well, go, can, we, can we say who? I don't want to say, cause I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, but uh, I'm hoping they still will. And um, like Nicole Carroll, would she talk to you? Because she's been around for a long time. I don't know if she would or not. I wish she would. I have not. She hasn't yet. Because I want. I wonder what she's up to right now and how it's been since Greg's been out. But yeah, I mean, she's a key. What was it like the whole time? And she's a yeah. strong female presence in there and said some stuff at some points. Right? People were saying she should be the new CEO of CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she. I think she is an incredibly important figure in all of this. And um, measuring nails. Yep. 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 Everyone is at broken science is now it was, it wasn't counting pennies. That was the Greg story. Measuring <laughs> nails. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And there, so there's people like that, that I think, you know, I can tell their story without them, but I don't really like doing that. And right. so I think I could, I could tell the whole story from Greg's perspective. Right. And that would be one way of doing it where people would know out the gate. This is a compilation of other people's stories that I'm including but really it's told through Greg's eyes and I could do that now, but I do hope that other people will come to the table and I'll be able to get to include their voice in it because that seems really important for rounding it out. And quite honestly, I mean, it's same with Savant. They deserve credit. You know, Greg gets the credit for building the business and then coming up with the methodology. And that's all absolutely right. But he had a remarkable team of people who all have incredible independent stories of how they came to this and why they contributed what they did. And it would feel a little disingenuous to tell it without including those. Um, but I have a lot. I mean, I have the figures. So Here, here's what I'm all right. Now tell me if I'm way off. Just interject that drives me crazy is like, there was a guy who commented on this video who was like, Oh, Hey, I'm writing a book on CrossFit. I'd love to contact you. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? I've never heard of you. You're who writing was- on CrossFit and like nobody knows who you are and you haven't contacted me or Greg. And it's not about being competitive about a book because Greg's not going to talk to anybody else, but it's more about like, who? how can you write a book on this and not talk to Greg? Same way Zach can make a video. I guess. And this is why you get all flustered about it. Same way you get flustered with the book and Zach's video. They're one and the same. <laughs> how did you not even reach out to us? I'm sitting right here. I'm standing right here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I got it here. I'm, I'm checking the. I'm checking to see if he, he has not responded. I sent it at six twenty one. He's had forty minutes to possibly. I, I, I have this in the back of my head. You, you're going to talk about the NSCA case. You got the website, and CrossFit launched with media, right? I mean, it was the journal, and maybe that's going to be the avenue. Because I was sitting at Broken Science, and I was thinking, I wonder if it's going to be the exact same thing with a with his current project this is just a new project to greg and it's very important to him clearly but without the media team at crossfit where does the journal really take off with and i'm wondering if there's going to be something like that with the nsca cases that you want to talk about and is there going to be a youtube channel a podcast broken science podcast how is it going to be brought up outside of the potential just website is there is there any thought to that 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we like the original content that's coming out includes writing. Greg is writing again, which he hadn't been for years. And he's writing again. That's cool. Awesome. It might be some of his best. Cool. Where's that? Um, It's on the site. Cool. Um, There's also tons of reading material to help get people up to speed on the replication crisis and all of these other things that have impacted, you know, how we how we got where we are. Um, we have a YouTube channel that's Broken Science Initiative that has the lectures and parties and, you know, videos that we've done thus far. Um, Greg and I were talking about doing a podcast, but I feel like we're both so inconsistent and overworked with different this, Where can I find these? Are they, are they over here? So uh, if you go to um, the top where it says events. Yep. Yeah. So that will link you to all of our events, which have all of the speaking engagement videos, as well as slides that people have used. You said he's writing. Is this in here somewhere? Oh, yeah, the writing. So that should be, I think his one of his main essays is just right on the homepage. I'll make this bigger. So well, you- the homepage is going to be um, all the new content will pop up there first. Yeah. So if, yeah. So let's say learn more. Interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. So go up. Sorry. That's great. I think if you hit learn more resources, maybe resources. Hey, there's you. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Curriculum corruption. Does that say got it? Let's hold on a second. Sorry, I'm I'm popping around. Are you are you going to look for it yourself? Yeah. Some of my original. I know. Okay, so if you go on the homepage and you scroll down after it, t- it says mailing list, which actually makes you think that it's the end of the page. I hadn't realized that that was right there. We're going to move that as soon okay. as like, it's is called. It the manifesto. Yes, if you read that, Greg wrote that. Read more. Cool. Um. All right, everybody, get to it. So Holy, thanks for the fifty dollars. Twelve daily doses. And Mike, yeah, yeah, I love raising money for you guys. Come on, guys. Ask me questions. Give more money. Hey guys, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> what? Yeah, this 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 is what everyone's saying. This, this is it. Everyone's horny. Go work out. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I am so glad everybody's listening carefully to this important content. Yeah. Someone earlier was like, Andrew, you need to move Emily's name tag. And I was like, guys, 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 get out of here. Stop it. Stop it. Chill out. <laughs> here wow. we go. Look, 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 look. I'll stop. Pays $50 and then says that they'll stop. <laughs> you know, maybe this is sexual harassment. I don't know what right. it was. <laughs> right. Come on. Well, here's the thing. No one knows who 12 daily doses is. You got to go through their IP address and then you, there's going to be a video made about it. Amazing. All right. Anything you want to finish with, Emily? Uh, you have, there's no date on the book. No, but I mean, I do think if people register on the site, you can comment. There's a whole cool forum that we built. And that's a great way to know about upcoming stuff. And so if Greg and I decide to do the podcast, I'll post about it. We have the Instagram account too, at uh, Broken Science Initiative, which is in the CrossFit bio. So book bio, if you click there, you'll find it. Um, But I think I also was thinking I might do a podcast because I talk to all of these researchers like all week and we have wonderful conversations. And I was thinking we should just be recording those and save them. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening and I think the first couple of years, Greg and I were diving into this stuff. And then we really wanted to meet with experts to make sure that we weren't wrong. I mean, we kind of couldn't believe that we had figured some of these things out and that they weren't 
well-known and already adopted. And so we traveled around and met with people who we thought were, you know, the best and the brightest, and they have basically all confirmed that they agree with our thesis. And so now it's a matter of developing the products and getting them out to people so that we can start helping to educate more people. And by that, you mean articles and you said develop the products. And like, I mean, the main thing will be a school curriculum. That's really going to be a philosophy of science that people can teach their children as homeschoolers or it'll be charter schools. Public schools probably won't adopt it because it's going to be too controversial. Cool. I mean, schools suck these days from what I see. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. So no, I, I got some buddies who are teachers and they don't see very much good. Yeah, no, it's really hard. And I think it's hard for the teachers and it sucks for the kids. I think we're just making little automatons that like can't think for themselves and are One more time, Tom and Tom. Automatons, like little robots oh. that do what they're told. So that's the lawyer speak, right? You know more words <laughs> than I do. I'm not a lawyer. Wait, no, I thought you were. A lot of training at Harvard you're a former journalist. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and, then, and I did a lot of training at Harvard Law School. So that's on my bio. If that, I don't know. I was oh, wait, I thought that didn't mean anything. I thought Harvard was no good no more. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just telling you, it doesn't yeah. mean I'm great or anything like that. <laughs> the coolest thing about the Broken Science Initiative was the lack of credentials listed or brought up upon the speakers. What they said was what they stood for. And if you thought it was intelligent, you made up your own mind. It wasn't MD dot S four twelve different certifications. It, it it was cool. Yeah. Well, we did that intentionally. I mean, I said that in the intro. I mean, I was, yeah. We're not going to have. We don't have bios. It's not because we forgot to put them out. We want you to listen to people's ideas for their ideas. There's too much of this expert bullshit going on. So, well, thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you. And, and uh, uh, out, right? we're all good. Exactly. You and says like let's do it i'm down for a debate or a you know let's compare our notes and if he has something that i've got wrong i'd love to know wait i'll tell you i'll, I'll send him right there emily and i are done she is willing to come back on if you are cool in the future yeah or if he's working on a part two maybe right and then he can just reach out to you right be great. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like, I don't want to sound so aggressive that people are scared to reach out. I really do mean that. I think like if people are working on something or they want to fact check something, like, please, it's not like that's, that should be accessible and easy. And I mean, when he said like nobody in Greg's camp will ever respond to anything, I immediately took that offensively. Like what? You offended? No. No. All right. I'm going to let you go, Emily. Everyone Thank say goodbye you. to Emily. Thank you, Emily, for coming on. This was great. Thanks, Thank everybody. Yep. Standard. Uh, the broadcast right now. <laughs>